Uh, we're going to continue in our study of the Word of God. And we find our place this morning in Romans 15. Uh, we do study the Bible here. I, I do my best by the power of the Holy Spirit, I trust, to lead us through the Scriptures expositionally, verse by verse. Uh, this morning, we will conclude the 15th chapter of Romans, looking most specifically at verses 22 to 33. That's the text I'll read. I uh, will be covering ground that we've already covered. In, in order, I do that often um, in order to help us stay connected to what we've already learned and to see the flow of Scripture. So we know that this is the Apostle Paul writing the church in Rome. He's very satisfied about a people whom he had never met, the church in Rome. He said, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to nuthetail one another. Admonish one another. In some points, he says, I've, I've, written, I've written you very boldly by way of reminder, and that's the key of this morning, reminder. Reminder of the gospel, and reminders of a life of gospel awareness, gospel living. He goes on to say, look, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Verse 17, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. He cites Isaiah as his ministry is is a facet of the very fulfillment of Old Testament scripture that those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. And that's where we pick it up. So I'll ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. As we pick up in verse 22. This is the very reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And since I have longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together. With me, in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace. 
be with you all. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit that you'll enable me to communicate this text, not in my strength, but in yours. And may you minister to your saints, to their very hearts, Lord, with all these gospel reminders to become applicable to our own lives. For any and every person here who is not born again of your spirit, may today be the day, the harvest of their soul for your glory and the increase of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Gospel reminders for everyday life. Now, after concluding the, the doctrinal section of this letter, Paul gave us practical instruction in how doctrine of the gospel is expressed. Right? How doctrine is lived out. It's been clear. Amen? We've seen that. All who are recipients of the gospel, saved by grace, are being changed by grace. They're growing in grace. They certainly ought to be. Now, as we approach this last section of the chapter, it doesn't seem on the surface uh, to be all that weighty, but merely a list of Paul's aspirations with future you know, missionary plans to Spain, with a, with a visit to Rome on his way. But in all actuality, as I see it, it is filled with gospel reminders. So it follows the flow, it follows the context of his previous words to these saints in Rome, where we see this clear connection pertaining to Paul's priestly ministry. He sees himself as a priest of these Gentile believers, offering them up, not offering a sacrifice for them, Christ did that, but offering them up as a, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, a living sacrifice. And then he talks about his, his partnership with these believers, whom, as he stated back in chapter 1, he had been praying for, longing to succeed in paying them a visit. These are people that he has never met. This, this whole body. He, he is yet to go to Rome. Back in chapter 1 and verse 11, he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You see that? Both yours and mine. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Verse 15, chapter 1. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, these folks have come to saving faith by way of God's gospel, which again is the power of salvation. Why then is Paul eager to preach the gospel to those already saved by the gospel? We see it at the end of chapter 15, or in the middle of chapter 15, verse 14. I'm satisfied that you yourselves are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You already know gospel truth. You already know doctrine. 
But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of what? Reminder. This is what we need. We need to be reminded of the gospel. Even if we know it very well. Because as we said last week, within the body of Christ are those who know the gospel. There's those who who assume the gospel. And there's those who quite simply forget the gospel. Now, reviewing Romans, we're clearly reminded of the gospel. We saw back in chapter 1 that God created human beings for his glory, the only creatures made in the image of God to praise him, to honor him, to thank him, to glorify him. The first three chapters teach that we have refused to do that. And we can't do that because of our nature, which is? Sinful. Conceived in sin. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fall short of the holy standard of God. The wages of sin, it is death. The only thing you've earned and can earn is death. You cannot earn salvation. You can't do enough good to get to heaven. Because God's standard, you can't reach. It's holy perfection. The only thing you earn is death. Guaranteed. Good news or bad news? Thank you. The gospel means good news. You can't know the good news till you know the bad. You can't preach the good news till you preach the bad. The good news is that however, in spite of all that, God sent his son. His only begotten, holy son, to live a righteous life, to die the death required for sinners who are weak, who are ungodly, and naturally his enemies. If you're here as an unbeliever this morning, you're at enmity with God. You are at war with God, and God is at war with you, whether you realize it or not, but Christ died. For those who are sinners, for those who are ungodly, for those who are unworthy, for those who are enemies of him, for those who are separated from him, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's to trust and believe and know that you can't do it, and in spite of you, in spite of yourself, in spite of your sin, there's one who did it, and there's only one, and it's Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to place your faith and your trust in him is to be delivered from sin and sin's penalty, which is death and eternal torment from God. You're surrounded this morning by people who once belonged to that category. Who were enemies of God. Before coming to Jesus Christ by way of of faith alone. To believe, to trust. All as a result of his grace. Unmerited favor. They're now saved. Saved from what? Hell. Saved from what? Damnation. Saved from ever having to face the judgment of God for their sin and therefore guaranteed eternal life, guaranteed to have heaven. You're not justified by death. People who die, oh, they're in a better place. Not if they're not in Christ, they're not. 
If they're not in Christ, they're in hell. Word. Fact. There is no justification by death. It's justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's how one is justified. What does it mean to be justified? To be declared, declared free from all blame. You're surrounded this morning by people, if you're not saved, you're surrounded by people who are declared free from all blame because Jesus took all the blame. And their faith is in him. That's the gospel. They're saved now. Justified. Declared right in the sight of God. Not by things they have done. Not by things they've attempted to do to earn his favor. You can't earn his favor. It's all been done perfectly by way of the Son of God. And you believe him. You trust. You know you can't do it. You admit you can't do it. And you trust in the one that God has provided. There's only one. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who is slaughtered so that a wretch like me can be saved. So Paul tells these Christians in Rome that we need to be reminded regularly of this gospel. You know, perhaps you've been reminded of a song that you heard maybe when you were young, one of those great songs from the 60s, maybe the 70s, one of those songs that moved you, right? Come on, let's, let's be real, man. As a music lover, there's songs that move you. There's songs that are good. There's songs that you dig. There's songs that say, man, that was a good memory. And then all of a sudden, it's out of your mind and you forget it, right? And then you hear it again. And you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that song. You know, last week, someone at the door gave me a double CD set of music that came out in the 80s. It's, it's worship music that I used to listen to throughout the 90s by a guy named Terry Clark. And one of his songs that he did was Thank You, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right? For the grace that you have given us, right? I misplaced that CD and had forgotten about the song. This guy gives me this CD set. I used to sing this song throughout the house as my kids were growing up. They heard it all the time. Terry Clark songs all the time. Let's worship, right? Let's lay our lives down at his feet. All these songs. I've been listening to this thing all week. Asking myself, how could I forget this song? All the lyrics come right back to me. And I've been rehearsing them in my mind and in my heart. It's in my CD deck in my truck right now. The same is true with the music of the gospel. It can be forgotten by us. Amen? It can be forgotten by us. So it's imperative that we play it, that we rehearse it over and over and over again. I was with my son, who's 25, who lives in Los Angeles. I repeated the gospel to him over again yesterday. He grew up hearing it. Paul repeats it and desires to repeat it to those that are saved by it. Amen? We must be reminded of God's love for sinners because you're still a sinner. A saved sinner, a sinner nonetheless. 
made manifest through his only begotten son, which now jogs my memory. Okay, gospel reminder. It jogs my memory that I am incredibly blessed, greatly privileged, fortunate, eternally secure, growing within me in an ever-ready awareness that this isn't about me. Coming to church isn't about me. Coming to church isn't about how many people say hi to me, although we should say hi to one another. Come on. I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm a member of the household of faith, and as such, a member of a local assembly of those who are in union with the same Christ, the only Christ. We're members of the body. Christ is the head. When I begin to understand that more fully, gathering on Sunday is no longer a burden. It's not a pit stop on the way to the beach. It's not a pit stop on the way to Qualcomm. Amen? You can go to Qualcomm. Go football, man. But let's not see church as a pit stop. It's a privilege and a responsibility. You're responsible to those sitting around you this morning. You're a member of the body of Jesus Christ. So there's a privilege in conjunction with a responsibility placed on me by the Lord of my salvation. May we be reminded of chapter 12, Romans. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, are individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with what? Cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. We're all expected to play a part. So gospel ministry isn't some disengaged activity where others carry the load. Gospel reminder. Paul was able to say in verse 17, Romans 15, in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for, for God. This is a good pride. This isn't sinful pride. This is boasting what Christ has accomplished in and through me, said Paul, verse 18. May we be proud of what God accomplishes through us, individually and as a body. Knowing, I didn't do it, you didn't do it, we didn't do it, Christ did it through us. Amen? And he does it through us. So Paul says, look, I fulfilled my ministry. Not completely. He's not done. This brother's not done yet. Amen? He's not done yet. Read 2 Timothy. He's not done yet. But only at this point in time in his life, this season, if you will, and thus, chapter 15, verse 20, I, may, I might make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Ambition. You remember that word? Loving Honor. Combination of those two words. To love and to honor. It's an an, an attraction to the honor of something. 
Paul's talking about sharing good news. Sharing good news. It's a loving honor for me to share good news. To share God's good, grace-filled news. Pouring into others is not a burden. Preaching the gospel, he says, is not a burden. It is my ambitious endeavor. That kind of ambition was evident in the Apostle Paul. His passion in preaching, it came out in his preaching. Passionate. People are afraid of passion in our day when it comes to the gospel. Somebody visited this church once, and because I am passionate about the truth, this is not a show. This is no showman place here. You either have it or you don't. You just preach it. And she said, anyone with that much passion, there's something got to be wrong. Paul was passionate. 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That was true. We see that in, 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 in uh, Athens. His next stop was Corinth. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Filled with the Spirit, Paul proclaimed the gospel message and gave gospel instruction to those saved by the, the gospel with passion. You know who Steve Lawson is? He's a passionate preacher. He preached here before. He says this, where there's no passion, there is no real preaching. John Murray, great theologian, wrote, the spirit never makes God's messengers dull and dry. Dispassionate preaching, says R.C. Sproul, is a lie. Where there is no passion, there's no real preaching, but only bland rhetoric. Before there can be a fire in the pew, there has to be a fire in the pulpit. Kindled, kindled by ambition to announce the good news. Ambition, loving honor to equip the saints. That's what preaching the word does. It it equips the saints. Well, perhaps you're sitting here and you go, whoa. My heart's grown cold. I wish I had that ambition. I used to have that ambition. I don't have that ambition. I wish I were zealous. I wish I were passionate. I wish I were fiery. Some words of encouragement to you from a great Puritan 17th century preacher and theologian, John Preston. Quote, The love of God is peculiarly the work of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, the way to get it is to earnestly pray. We're no more able to love the Lord than cold water is able to heat itself. So the Holy Ghost must breed that fire of love in us. It must be kindled from heaven or else we shall never have it. Stop right where you are. Call upon the Lord to inflame your heart with love for him and zeal for his glory Christ assures us that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to his children if they ask. So in the name of the Son, ask the Father to fill you with joy and peace and believing so that you may bound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Specifically, to shed his love abroad in your heart through the Spirit, to strengthen you by his Spirit in the inner man, and to make your life and ministry bear much fruit that he may be glorified in you. End quote. 
That was given to me. A book was given to me. This quote comes from a book given to me by someone as a gift in this ministry. Glory. It's reciprocal. Another gospel reminder. A holy, single-minded ambition like Paul's functions to keep you from doing other good things that you may really want to do or that you really like doing. He says in verse 23b, I've longed for many years to come to you. Is that a good thing for the apostle to come and visit us, to come and nurture us, to come and encourage us? Is that a good thing? That's a good thing. But, verse 22, this holy ambition to fulfill the ministry of the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum has kept him from doing what he wanted to do, that which was very good. There are certainly good things that you perhaps have wanted to do. Perhaps you at present want to do and you have put them off for something more important until a time that it can be worked within the framework of things more important, if possible, for the glory of God. So this sanctified and ever-growing ambition puts a priority on matters of greater eternal significance. Not that those things are bad, they're good, but because this holy ambition drives me with a purpose and for a purpose that is greater in light of eternity. That's what Paul was all about. Look at the Lord's promise in in Mark's gospel, Mark 10. Peter said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. (laughs) Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and lands, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So sacrifices here and now, for the sake of Christ and his gospel, are given back a hundredfold. Amen? Do we see this? Now, this promise wasn't only for the twelve. This promise is for every true believer throughout the age. Who have an ambition, that is a loving honor for Christ and his gospel above even their dearest relatives or most cherished possessions. But my mom is an unbeliever. My heart goes out to you. But nevertheless, I know I'm called to the mission field. Right? Perhaps. making sacrifices for Christ and his gospel. Now, this phrase in verse 31, the first shall be last and the last first, that that saying, as you know, appears in other texts throughout the gospel and has more than one application. All right? Here, it refers to the future when God will evaluate man and human values are reversed. (laughs) 
human values will be reversed. Those who have rank and position here won't have it there. Those who don't have rank and position here will have it there. There's a great note in the ESV study Bible. Quote, context suggests that this is an inconspicuous, obedient disciple, not much recognized in this life, who will then receive the greatest honor. Encouraged by that? Amen? Paul writes, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. This was his ambition. So this hindered him from going and doing good elsewhere. Now, there's not, is there anything inherently wrong with building on someone else's foundation? No. No. It's actually very rare that a church begins and ends with one pastor, right? If you want the thing to go on to many generations, it better not lay in one man. So someone inevitably has to preach upon the foundation that was laid by him. I certainly hope if the Lord tarries, there'll be another preacher to preach on the foundation laid here and do it much better than I. Amen? To your children and children's children. So he makes clear the reason for his delay in coming in the first place. Verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. This is my priority. So as amazing as it may sound, holy ambitions, this kind of gospel resolve within, we talked about resolve last week, provides a a kind of meaning and a, a certain focus to your life that keeps you from doing a dozen other things that are also good. They're good, but they're put on hold because this, whatever that is, is more important. Well, I have to study because I lead a home group at my house on Wednesday or Thursday. I have to put this good off because this is important or whatever. Verse 22, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Again, he's citing Isaiah 52, 15, part of the, the most famous of Isaiah's servant songs, saying that the, the disfigured state of the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, will perform a priestly work of sprinkling the nations. Sprinkling the nations with what? His blood. His blood. Cleansing not just Israel, but many who've never heard the oracles of God, Gentile nations, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is why he put things on hold. But now, verse 23. Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Okay, being convinced here that the gospel has been established in these parts. He says, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm in these parts. I've been in these parts. I'm confident. The gospel's been established. He's on the move. It's time for me to move on. The brothers will take care of you. Amen? Now, question, how old was Paul at this time? Scholars think he was about 60. 
and still eager. This brother is eager to go to Spain. And he's not hopping on first class or business class or even coach. Amen. Traveling wasn't easy. Even so, notice, he goes, even so, even so. You know what? I hope to see you as I pass through Rome. Well, we're in Rome, capital of the Roman Empire. Certainly we have influence. You should spend more time with us. No, as I pass through, I'll see you. (laughs) I'm continuing my endeavor. That is going where Christ hasn't been preached. And I'll see you when I'm on my way. Another gospel reminder. There's no retirement from Christian activity. There's no retirement from Christian engagement. We may retire from a profession, amen, and I hope you do. A pastor may, may, may retire from the pulpit, and, and when I can't speak anymore, then I hope I will. Amen? But we don't retire from discipleship or service within the body of Christ. In some way, shape, or form. You don't, you don't you're, you're, you know, well, I'm 70 now. Don't ever think. Don't ever think. There's nothing more for me to do. You know, I'm almost 70 or I'm almost 80. Connect with people. Amen? Connect with people. You know a lot more than they do. Than we do. (laughs) Us youngsters. Amen. Amen? I hope to see you, verse 24, in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company all for a while. For a while. So he's saying, when I do pass through, don't worry, don't worry. I plan to stay, but uh, only for a spell. We as believers naturally, do we not enjoy the company of fellow believers, whoever they are? I mean, mostly. Some people are more difficult than others, that's for sure. Amen. But do we not, for the most part, enjoy the company of fellow believers wherever you go? Yes. However, the most enjoyable Christian company is in the context of shared gospel ambition because not everyone has it. Is it cool to talk about life? Yeah. Sports? Yeah. Music? Yeah. Yeah. Politics? Maybe. (laughs) But nothing like gospel ambition. And it's interesting that this church in Rome, this body of believers, whose faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world, Romans 1.8, wasn't planted by Paul. Yet they shared a common bond, a bond, a well-rounded gospel ambition. Did you get that? Well-rounded. Well-rounded doctrine. Well-rounded passion. Well-rounded zeal. Now, whether or not Paul ever made it to Spain, no one knows. Scholars are split on whether or not he made it there. He did make it to Rome. That we know. Acts 27 and 28 inform us that Paul arrived in Rome as Caesar's prisoner. He got there, but he got there in chains. Verse 25. At present, however, 
I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Paul's collected this offering from Gentile converts. That's who they are. Gentile converts. To deliver to Jewish believers living in the midst of hostility, in the midst of poverty, under persecution, and great deficiency. Taken from this group to be delivered to that group. Now we know from Acts chapter 11, if you're in Sunday school you'd know this, verse 28. From the, and from the Jewish historian Josephus, that there was a famine in Judea between 44 and 48 A.D. Perhaps this is part of it. Delivering this offering right here at this time was as important to Paul as it was taking the gospel to Spain because he's delivering it by way of his own hand. He didn't pass it off. Verse 27, they, the believers from those regions, were pleased to do it. And notice this, and indeed they owe it to them. Well, everything's been paid in Christ. That's what people say. We really don't owe anything. Yes, you do. Paul says here, they were glad to do it, and they were right to do it gladly as a payment of debt. How? Quite simply, Gentile believers knew very well that they were the wild olive branch grafted into the root of Israel. They knew this. They knew that the scriptures that encouraged them and gave them all of these promises and benefits came from the Jews who were entrusted with the very oracles of God, Romans 3, verse 2. And in addition to that, it was the Jerusalem Christians who sent the first missionaries to bring them the gospel. You owe them. Paul says. You're in debt to them. Another gospel reminder. May we never forget our debt of gratitude to those whose ministry brought about our saving faith. Amen? I hear all these reformed people all the time who came from like Calvary Chapel. They come out, they learn some stuff, and they start running their mouth against like Calvary Chapels. Grow up, man. Grow up. Don't forget where you came from. Amen? Whose ministry the Holy Spirit used to convert you according to sovereign grace, His providential will, the power of His Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit. Evangelical and Reformed. We want to be both evangelically reformed and reforming. (laughs) May we not forget that debt of gratitude. Remember when Paul wrote Philemon? Philemon was a disciple of Paul who came to faith by way of Paul's ministry to Philemon. Philemon had a house servant by the name of Onesimus his slave, his servant. Onesimus stole something apparently from Philemon 
and fled. And he ended up in Rome. And by the providence of God, guess who he met? Paul. Paul led Onesimus to Christ. When he find, Tell me your story, Onesimus. Let me hear your testimony. Well, I used to be a servant of this brother named Philemon. And, uh, you know, I stole some one day and I left. But, boy, am I glad to be out from under that guy's pressure. Really, Philemon? I know Philemon. Here, let me write a letter. And you know what you need to do now, Christian? You need to go back to Philemon. And then he sends him with Philemon in his hand to go home. And he writes, Philemon 18. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write, with, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to na- say nothing of your owing me your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. A debtor. Amen? He knows he's, Paul knows that this brother's indebted to him because of his ministry. So Philemon, just like Onesimus, owed his Christian faith, their Christian faith, to the ministry of Paul. Isn't it beautiful? By faith, the Gentiles have been grafted into these benefits, realizing as they did, you know, we're spiritual debtors to our brothers and sisters. Of Israel. Spiritual debtors who are at this present time suffering, so as such, we're obliged to meet their material need. Right? Notice the next verse. Verse 27b. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in the go ahead and say it. Material blessings. Those whom the gospel sets free will find themselves filled with gratitude, or they should, and then as a result of the gratitude, desire to help out their brothers and sisters, those ministries, ministers, wherever necessary. And you know, Paul writes about this very collection for two whole chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Gospel reminder. Gospel reminder. (laughs) Since we have been blessed spiritually, and since we have been blessed with, with great wealth in our culture, and you are the richest people in the world. But I live in an apartment. Yeah, but you have a TV, and you have water, and you have a toilet, and on and on it goes. Because we're blessed like this, we ought to give our money generously for the work of the ministry. Amen? Not stinginess, you know, trying to reason within myself. You know, is tithing really a New Testament matter? Right? Need I really give a tenth of my gross income? One-tenth is a good place to start. My parents, I learned this, they gave a tenth of their gross income to their local church. Everything else was offerings to other ministries. Missions, they used to give to a Christian radio station. I know they gave probably much because the radio station was always inviting us to come and visit. (laughs) And then I heard my mom's voice on the radio one day. Give a tenth. That's a great principle. Give a tenth to your local congregation 
what you take in, and give offerings to other ministries that bless you. Question, if not, why not? Why not? Very few times in Scripture are humans invited to test God. And in Malachi 3, Israel is invited to test God by bringing in what? Their full tithes. And see if he will not pour out his blessing until there's no more need. That's a promise to meet all their needs, not necessarily their greeds, but most certainly all their needs. So why not? You want to test him? Put him to the test there, baby. And if the church simply adhered to this principle, the, the principle of tithing, like truly tithing, giving sacrificially, giving generously, you'd never have any financial problems in the church, any church for that matter. Amen? Amen. Let's get a head knowledge acknowledgement. <laughs> God loves a cheerful giver, and that's in response to this giving right here to Paul that he was taking to Jerusalem. A cheer, God loves a cheerful giver. What does that mean? It means he has a special, unique love in that he approves of those committed to generous giving. So we give because it's a privilege to give. Verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I'll leave for Spain by way of you. Paul himself is delivering this offering to the poor in Jerusalem. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Did he? Regardless of how he would arrive, he would come in with the full blessing of Christ. And he came in chains. Shackles. Privileged. Blessed. As an ambassador. A minister. A prisoner of Christ. Sorry, I haven't been looking over here much. Long before he arrives, shortly before heading to Jerusalem, Paul has some exhortations for them. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that at my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So having pr- prayed for them, having provided instruction to them, apostle to congregants, apostle to congregants, they're in a partnership together. Paul knows this. They know this. So on the basis of that affiliation, he says, strive together with me in prayer. You strive like that for one another? Collects the money for the saints. He asks them to pray for his safety there. Why? Because Paul had a lot of enemies. That brother had enemies on the outside, and he had a whole lot of enemies on the inside. People always were doubting and wondering about him, questioning his authority, questioning his ability, always facing enemies on both sides, everywhere this brother went, for the most part. Here now another gospel reminder. The Christian life is not, can't stress this enough, an individual endeavor. 
right? Being in Christ, we're, we're, we're moved to greater consideration. We're moved to greater action for our brothers and sisters in Christ, striving together. Not only in attending, but in serving and giving and in prayer. And you can't serve together and pray together and know what to pray about, let alone give, if you don't attend. Tell that to our friends here who, who hardly ever attend. You know people in this church who hardly ever attend? Get on the horn and ask them why they don't attend. See, that's all of our responsibility, not just my responsibility. Amen? Give them a call in love. So Paul, who has ministered to them, asked for them to minister to him in return. So realizing that there are great threats to his ministry, he asks for prayer. He's asking for covering, right? Gospel reminder. We're not here to solely take. Gimme, 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 gimme. That is, that's culture in our day. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You get every time you come. Amen? You get. The Spirit ministers to you. And he also wants to minister through you. This is an engaged activity of life together. Are you surrounded by a group of people who do that for you daily, beloved? Prayer is a costly part of gospel partnership. So as one of the elders here, just one of the elders, I exhort you, I admonish you to put yourself in those kind of relationships which are made available. We can't force you to fellowship. We can't force you into discipleship. And how are people discipled? By spending time together. You're being discipled and you're discipling at the same time. That's life in the body. It's a two-way street. We can provide opportunities, but we can't produce your desire. We can't produce a resolve within you. We can't produce a commitment within you. But may it be true of every member or attendee of the PHC, right here, Pacific Hope Church, that you have a band of brothers, a band of sisters who strive together with you, alongside of you, each and every day. Amen? Finally, verse 32. So that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed. Did you see that? Refreshed. This produces a refreshment in your company. God loves to refresh his people. Guess what? Guess how? Through his people. God loves to refresh his people through his people. And if you ain't with the people, you can't be refreshed by the people. When does he do it? Between the battles and in the midst of the battles. You find refreshment. You find rest together. That's what you get. And he's already told us how, way back in chapter 1, verse 12, that he wants to see them so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's what? Faith. God intends for the faith of some to refresh the souls of others and in a week or two, their souls may be used to refresh yours. Again, it's reciprocal. Where even the smallest victory 
You know, when I see the smallest victory of faith in your own life, you know who I see? Christ. The smallest victory in your life shows me Christ. The smallest victory in one another's lives shows one another Christ. You talk about someone who's engaged in your life, he's engaged in your life. He promises never to leave you, never to forsake you. I am with you unto the end of the age. And I put you all together to remain together until I come back. Refresh one another. Encourage one another with these words. I do not cease to remind you of these things, says the apostles. Don't keep it to yourself. Engage, connect, bond, receive, and serve one another. Well, I don't have an official, you know, uh, ministry here. You don't need one. Official ministry is being involved in one another's lives. That's official ministry. Amen? God is saying through this exhortation, I'll cut all your burdens in half by having them shared by others. I'll cut all your burdens in half. And in addition to that, I'll increase, I'll double your joys together which you can't experience if you're on an island by yourself. So call up your friends who don't come to church and tell them that. Because I'm tired of telling them that. Verse 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's a benediction of presence and peace, right? May the God of peace be with you. His presence and his peace. And may the God of all peace grant you peace in every circumstance. Before we came to Christ, we were at war with God. Amen? And having been given grace to have faith to believe, we were, and now forevermore, are at peace with God. So being at peace with God, he doesn't just leave us there. He also provides us the peace of God. Peace of God, because we have peace with God. So through that reconciliation by faith, he also provides for us a settled heart, a deep confidence that is all is well. All is well. And I I don't have, oh, you may have anxiety in life, right? We all have that. But no longer will you have anxiety of salvation. It's a settled work accomplished by Christ. Therefore, we remind one another of the gospel. reassuring ourselves of this truth. That the God of peace would be with you all. Back in verse 5, our Lord is identified as the God of endurance and encouragement. Take a look, because we're closing right now. Identified as the God of endurance and encouragement. Verse 13, he's the God of hope. And here he's the God of peace. The God of endurance, the God of encouragement, the God of hope, the God of peace... And this would have been a very important blessing for these first century Christians in Rome who would soon be oppressed by the twisted, perverted sword and hand of one called Nero. And this is for you. In any and every circumstance, any situation that you may face... May the God of peace be with you all as we remember 
his gospel and everything attached to it. It's called gospel life. Amen? So may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We do thank you, our Holy Father, for your abounding, abundant grace. Thank you for saving our wretched souls from ourselves, from sin, from everlasting judgment. Having taken that judgment upon yourself, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High. We thank you, Father, for sending the Spirit, another like the Son, not leaving us as orphans, but being with us and being in us until the end. Bless your people. Bless your word to your people this day. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, ye servants of God.